Good morning. This is kind of different because I can look at all of you without turning my head. And uh, if I do turn my head, it's only so I can look at my wife. So we have an audience, a little bit, a little audience here, but I'm so glad that we can do this. This is amazing. We are, here we are able to go through the Word together digitally, but spiritually, it's the same thing. So we're going to get in the Word. We're in Genesis chapter 26. So if you would get your Bibles, turn there, Genesis 26. I'm going to read the first 12 verses. I'll pray, and then we'll get into the Word. So Genesis 26, living life right where you are. There was a famine in the land beside the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham, your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. So Isaac dwelt in Gerar. And the men of the place asked about his wife. And he said, she is my sister. For he was afraid to say, she is my wife, because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah, because she is beautiful to behold. Now it came to pass, when he had been there a long time, that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might have soon lain with your wife, and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people, saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Let's pray. So, Lord, we thank you for your word, and we are all ears, all heart, that the things which we read, the things which we're hearing, Jesus, you said when we hear these things and then put them into practice, that's when we're building our lives on a foundation that cannot be shaken. So we love your word. We are praying, Lord, now that you would bless the things I prepared. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. Lord, we want to grow in our faith, and we know that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So, Holy Spirit, come. Bless this time we're taking to go through the word this morning. And Lord, I pray that as we take in the word, you would cause us to grow in our faith and trust, obedience to you, in loving you and loving one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So I don't know about you, but as for me, I am worn out informationally. Anything and everything I'm hearing and seeing, and hearing and seeing again is all about the virus. (laughs) And I'm not saying they aren't important because they are. I I understand that. But for just a few minutes, I would like to be refreshed and encouraged by the verses (laughs) rather than the virus. So I'm going to jump right into this text this morning with three words for you. Number one, listen right where you are. Secondly, love right where you are. And third, learn right where you are. So in verses one through four, listen right where you are. Notice verse one. There was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. 
Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down into Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. So famine, we know that a famine is a scarcity of food. And when that's happening, it's scary. So I can't say that they were out without toilet paper, but I can say it's scary without food. So this is the only chapter, interesting, this is the only chapter that's devoted strictly to Isaac. He's in the other chapters, but usually in the background. Now, here we have the first time where we read the Lord spoke to Isaac. So the first time he is hearing the Lord. So he appeared to him, and what God said to him is, you stay put. Don't go down into Egypt. Now, that's what his father had done. But the Lord said, don't you do the same. And Isaac listened to what the Lord said to him. He heard him and listened. Now, do you think that he wrestled with this? I believe no question about it. He had a plan. He had seen what his father did. He's thinking, got to go to Egypt. And so he hears this, but instead of acting on how he felt, he acted on what God had said to him. He listened to the Lord. So the Lord continues, dwell in the land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. And I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham and your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. So God's saying, I will be with you. I will perform. I will make your descendants multiply, and I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, Isaac, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. So here's the threefold promise that God gave to Abraham, his father, and now he's given it to Isaac. The land, the nation, and the blessing. It was these threefold promises that were through Abraham to Isaac. Now look at Genesis 26. Next week we'll get this. The same thing, verse 24. The Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear. I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So let me stop here for a moment. When we face our famine, when we face our fears, when we are facing an uncertain future, God said to Isaac, I will be with you. I will bless you. I am with you. I will bless you. And I believe we can take that promise to heart that God is with us in whatever famine it might be. God is with us in every fear that we are experiencing. God is with us no matter what we may be going through for a future that he has promised to us. The application is, yes, it's an unsettling time, unsettled time. It's a scary time. But God says, wherever you are, I'm with you. God says, whatever fear you're facing, I'm with you and I want to bless you. God says, no matter what may be going on now, I have a future that's sealed and signed by me that you are going to make it. Your future is one of hope and expectation that I will be faithful. I'll be with you. I will bless you. I am with you. I will bless you. So listen right where you are. This is what God would say to us. I will be with you. I will bless you no matter what happens. And that is something we need need to take to heart. Secondly, second word, love right where you are. Notice verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, your father heard what I said and lived it out. That's what God is saying to Isaac. The law itself had not been given yet. But when it was, interesting, when it was, these exact same words were etched in stone as the expression 
of how we love God. Notice in Deuteronomy 11.1. 1, Therefore you shall love the Lord your God and keep his, here, here they are, his charge, his statutes, his laws, and his commandments always. Isaac was the recipient of the love of his father for him. Abraham, listen, Abraham was a loving man. He kept these, the charge and the commandments. He loved God, and he loved God's people. Isaac, the recipient of that love, so experienced it that he was willing to lay his life down in trusting his father in Genesis chapter 22. So we read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And that's John 3.16. 1 John 3.16 puts it this way. By this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Romans chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who, has, he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments you shall, and then he goes into, oh, shall not, you shall not. And then he says, and if there are anything of any other commandments, so all the commandments of God, if there are any other commandments, it's summed up in this. Namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 10, love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So here we are in this time, difficult times. We are to love one another. We're to love wherever we're at, right there, Love people. Love our neighbor. Now notice Galatians. For you, brethren, have been called to liberty only. Do not use your liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So all these details on what does love look like. Listen, during these times, living life right where we are, we are called to love our neighbor, to serve one another. Verse 14, for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even this, you shall love, again, you shall love your neighbor. What a great opportunity we have to love one another, to love our neighbor. Colossians chapter 3, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, we are loved, put on tender mercies, put on kindness, put on humility, meekness, long-suffering. These are all things that we are to be adorned with. Verse 13, bearing with one another. Now, we are always bearing with one another in some manner. But he's saying, here it is. This is what love is. We bear with one another. We forgive one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so also you must do. But above all things, notice what he says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's love that's going to bring us together in such a way that God can bless it bless our lives, and continue to minister to us of his presence. So he says, Abraham obeyed my voice. Now there's another important truth here. It was, he's saying to Isaac, because Abraham, your father, obeyed me. Notice what in Genesis 26, again, verse 24, I am with you, I will bless you, and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. So there's an important truth that we must talk about for a moment. As God promised Abraham... As God promised Abraham's physical descendants, next one in line is Isaac, Abraham believed God, is now dead. His, our whole faith is built on Abraham believing God and God accounted him for righteousness. He believed what God promised him in spite of anything that he himself had done. And so Abraham is now dead. 
God's covenant with Abraham will live on for hundreds and hundreds of years, passed down through Isaac, then Jacob, and on it went. And the, the one descendant leading to the next eventually came to the descendant, and his name is Jesus, the Son of God, the promised Messiah. Jesus would, in fact, be the one who fulfills all of these promises to Abraham. The promise of God to us is because Jesus obeyed. Because Jesus came and through his obedience, we have salvation. In other words, if Jesus was not obedient, we have no salvation, we have no sanctification, we have no immortality. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. It's only because of his obedience. And why did he obey? Because he loved the Father and he loved us. So had Jesus disobeyed, which is exactly what Satan tempted him to do, he, had he not obeyed, there'd be no, there would be no cross. If there's no cross, there's no payment for our sins. There's no redemption. So Jesus obeyed his God perfectly from birth to death and resurrection. Jesus never sinned. Jesus always did those things that pleased the Father. Jesus was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Jesus humbled himself and became obedient even to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for us. What an incredible, incredible truth this is of the love of God. He knew no sin. The perfect Son of God came and dwelt among us, lived a perfect life, was crucified on a cross, and he paid the penalty for our sin so that we would know the love of God. We would have salvation. We'd have sanctification. We would have immortality, eternal life. I love it. Now, I love this this hymn, How Deep the Father's Love for Us, How Vast Beyond All Measure, That He Should Give His Only Son to Make a Wretch His Treasure. Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Let that sink in. Love, right where you are. These blessings to his physical descendants are now ours, his spiritual descendants, to all those, and listen, and to only those who also believe God. These are for those of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, who believe the gospel, obey the gospel. Romans chapter 10. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach to you. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. In other words, I know in my heart there's something that needs forgiveness. There's something that needs God's cleansing. For the scripture says, whoever what? Believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Gentile. We're all born in sin. No distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord... Over all is rich to all who call upon him. For whoever calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now Paul continues. How then shall they call on him 
in whom they have not heard or have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful on the feet are the feet of those who preach the what? The gospel of peace. Who bring glad tidings of good things, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So Paul says, here is how a person comes to know the love of God. Here's how a person comes to know the transformation of the old life into a brand new creation. Here's how a person knows they're forgiven. Here's how a person knows that God loves them and is going to give them eternal life for all ages. Listen, love right where you are. And one of the most loving things that we can do as believers is to preach the gospel of peace. One of the most powerful things and loving things we can do is to tell people the good tidings that we have now in knowing him. And we do that to all those who are in the sound of our voice, all those who hear us. So six feet is certainly within the sound of your voice. And the most loving thing that we can do at this time is we're, we're, we're understanding there's a crisis, the biggest crisis that people will ever face is what will happen when they die. That's the crisis. And we have the answer. We have the gospel. And in preaching the gospel, people understand now how they can be saved, and then they make a choice to be saved. But it's not just six feet. How about 12,450 miles, which is halfway around the globe, the other side of the planet? What we're doing right now can go to the ends of the earth. What you do on, on Facebook, what you do on on the, on the Google groups, <laughs> what you do on the tech, in your text, can all be doing exactly this, preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus. So I want to include, so I want to exhort you, encourage you, let's get the gospel out in all the means that we can. Let's preach the gospel as the most loving thing that we can ever do. Now, verse six, so Isaac dwelt in Gerar. Very simple verse. So Isaac just stayed there. He stayed put. Right where he was is where God wanted him. And that Philistine land will become the promised land. And that's why God had him stay there. Final word is learn. Learn right where you are. Verse seven, and the men of of the place asked about his wife. And he, Isaac said, she is my sister. Now he's doing exactly what his father did. For he was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah for, because she is beautiful to be old. Just exactly like his father. He saw this happen. Egypt and then lying. So like father, like son. Abraham told a half lie. (laughs) Isaac told a whole lie. His whole lie was because he was fearful and tempted to sin and did. Now, when we talk about lying, the first question that comes up often is, is lying sin? Is lying ever okay with God? Is there such a thing as a half lie? Is there such a thing as a righteous lie? Are there degrees of lying? What about situational ethics? On my learning curve at this time, is lying sin? The simple answer is yes. I would also say, though, the complicated answer in my learning is also yes. Now, it's a huge topic. We don't have time this morning. I have a document I'm, willing to, I'm happy to send to you on a couple of articles that I read that helped me to get a grasp on what does the Bible say about lying. 
And I'll send that to you if you just email me. Verse 8. Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment to Rebekah, his wife. So here, in the providence of God, Abimelech just happens to look through the window and accidentally sees the truth. He sees the truth about Isaac. So Isaac is found out. He's a liar. Now, people are watching us right now. And the question that comes up when I read this is, what do they see about me and what do they see about you? See, crisis seems to surface some of the ugly stuff. And here with Isaac, in this situation he's in, because of a famine, because God told him to stay there, he is found out. And it's a long time after the original lie. Now, what is he seeing? Well, first of all, I see a, ver- a really good thing. He's showing endearment to Rebecca. He sees them loving each other. And, love- and that speaks volumes of their relationship. But he also, there's a kind of a bad thing here. Because what he sees is that he had been lied to and deceived by Isaac. He was living with that lie for a long time. Now it's been discovered. So one question is, it, is lying to sin, but really the more important question in my mind is, am I living with a lie? Is this what's going on that I don't know about or I'm not willing to acknowledge? Now, this is a very painful thing. Either in finding out or being found out. When there is lying going on and deceitfulness going on, it's a very painful thing to become aware of. And because we are in such forced proximity to one another, even those that we love the most, I would say that finding out and being found out is probably going to be a lot more prevalent. In the small settings and as we're together, it's easy to be apart. You don't have to deal with some of these things. But in being together now, is it possible, I believe it is, that some of this is going to be found out? I may be found out or I may find out something That is going to be very painful. I'll come back to this in a minute. Learn right where you are. Verse 9. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, Quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she's my sister? Isaac said to him, Because I said, lest I die on account of her. He's being honest. And Abimelech said, What is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife, and you would have been... You would have brought guilt on us. I mean, this Abimelech is an amazing man. He's finding out that Isaac's been lying to him. Abimelech then confronts Isaac immediately. Good thing to do. How could you say? And Isaac says, how? Well, it's easy. I thought my life was in danger before you, before your people. Isaac, uh, Abimelech says, what have you done to us? What did he do? You put our lives in danger before God. What's more important? (laughs) Obviously, there's needs, this is what, what Abimelech's going to deal with. So Abimelech cha- charged all his people. Interesting. He immediately goes to all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. In other words, two wrongs don't make a right. He's saying this stops right here, right now. And so he's dealing with the situation. Now, up to this point, I think this is important. Up to this point, because it's been going on for a long time. Isaac and Abimelech had become good friends, and there seems to have been a tremendous respect between them. So finding out that Isaac had been lying to him, no doubt 
damaged the relationship for a time. But you look at Abimelech and you realize he was a moral, God-fearing man. It was his moral character. He lived in the light. He lived with truth. That character gave space and gave time to preserve their relationship. His initial response to these things no doubt was painful, but in confronting Isaac, in knowing that two wrongs don't make a right, I'm not going to react wrongly. King, King Abimelech, though not of God's people, was the one who brought about the reconciling of this relationship. What a tremendous truth that is for us to take to heart. At times like these in crisis, we get to see the same thing. There are millions of people of tremendous character. Millions of people who are amazing human beings. Who want to have good, solid relationships. Because all human beings desire love and relationship. And many are experiencing that in an earthly dimension as we do also now with God. Verse 12, And Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. So listen right where you are. Love right where you are. And learn right where you are. So your faith will be tested by God. That's a promise. Right where you are. Warren Wearsby put it this way. A faith that can't be tested can't be trusted. God tests us to bring out the best in us. Satan tempts us to bring out the worst in us, unquote. First Peter, he said this. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you. Is this not a very strange thing that is happening to us? <laughs> it's unlike any other. It's strange. And this strange thing is certainly becoming a fiery trial. It's becoming a time when God is testing. It is very trying, to say the least. Remember, it's not strange to God. He has allowed these things for his purposes. God is testing our faith right where we are. And I would say in, in context of this story, stay put and let God take, take you of the course that he is. Stay put as he is teaching and instructing us and, and we are learning. Warren Wearsby also said this, the safest place in the world is the will of God. For the will of God will never lead us where his grace can't, can't provide for us. Unbelief asks, how can I get out of this? While faith asks, what can I get out of this? We have a tremendous opportunity. Learn right where you are. So I want to close with a few ponderings of my, in my own heart and in my own life. I want to share these with you. We have been given a gift. This pandemic has given us some unexpected time and space. We are literally mandated to stay put. Let us take this as a God-graced mandate. Let us take this time to examine our faith and our love for God. To what depth do I really listen to God? To what depth do I really love God and trust God? To what length and width do I really obey God? Let us, let these the, the social distancing, 
be our time to draw nearer to God. Let the rest in place be our time to find rest and peace in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus put it this way. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and listen, you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is... Jesus is not burdening us down. He wants to lighten the load of everything that's going on. How? To come to him. To learn from him. To listen to him like Mary sitting at Jesus' feet. These are the things that are ours. We have time and space now. Almost as though God mandated himself for us to learn right where we are. To ponder our walks with him. To ponder our love for him. To ponder our trusting him. To ponder our obeying him. We have so many opportunities to learn so much because of this crisis, not in spite of it. And so learn right where you are. We can learn from God himself. We can learn of his love and blessings. We can learn of his faithfulness and goodness. We can learn of his mercy and grace. We can learn of his power and his purposes. We can learn to to love God by loving others. We can learn to love God by obeying his commandments. We can learn by receiving from him the chastening and correction so that we might be partakers of his holiness. We can learn not only from God, we can learn about people. We can learn from people. We can learn about our God-given need for relationship. And I believe that many of us are learning that. We're seeing the importance of, our, of the relationships with one another. We can learn to love God by loving other people. These are all things that we can be learning. So learn right where you are, right with the sphere of influence, right in your home, right in the places that God puts you in these little spheres of influence. We can also learn not only about God and from God, about people and from people, but listen, we can learn about ourselves. We can learn the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because God is with us and God wants to bless us. We can learn from our past. Even as Isaac with Abraham. We can learn from us. And again, it's the good, the bad, and the ugly. We all have those things. We can learn from our mistakes. Maybe it is lying. But only if we're willing to acknowledge them as our mistakes. We can learn from our mistakes only if we repent of those mistakes and turn from them to God and to those that need reconciling with us. We can learn by asking forgiveness and by granting forgiveness. We can learn to forgive. What a tremendous gift that is in difficult times. When things surface that aren't so pretty, we can learn to forgive, but only if we're willing to forgive. We can learn about the importance of the word of God to our lives, even as Sophia was sharing a little bit about that. We can learn about the power of the Holy Spirit so desperately needed by every believer. We have been gifted by God. An unexpected break from the crazy busyness, the frantic pace of living that is our culture, always has been. We have been gifted with a new craziness, if you will, a new chaos, and we're all wondering what to do. What will happen? When will it be over? We have been gifted by a mandated 
hold everything, hold on, slow down, let's take a look, let's learn, let's listen, let's love. It's this national pause, international pause, worldwide pause to do our part in seeing this pandemic slowed down and eventually halted. It's a gifted time to strengthen our relationships by encouraging one another. A gifted time to make a phone call, to send an email, to have a Zoom, Google Hangout, or Skype digital fellowship. Now, to you skeptics about digital fellowships, you got to try it. And we just, we've been doing that on a few minutes, and it's fantastic. It's amazing. These things that we can do digitally that actually, you know, when you see someone, that's all you see in the screen, (laughs) up close and personal. It's a gifted time to build one another up in our most holy faith. A gifted time to take more time to pray. Our 24-7 challenge to you. I hope that you'll take a half hour and say, I'm going to take this out. And you do that. It's a gifted time to take more time to read our Bibles. A gifted time to spend more time memorizing the Scriptures. We're doing the book of Jude right now. I'll put it succinctly, it's a gifted time to redeem the time. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, see that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. That takes circumspection. Because the day, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine in which success. In other words, don't be controlled by other things right now, but be ye being filled with the Holy Spirit. How we need to be filled and controlled and led by the Holy Spirit and hearing God and listening to what he's saying and seeking to obey those by loving him and loving others and then learning along this, in this time and space that we have right now about who he is and who others are and who we are. Colossians 4 says this, walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Again, Redeeming the time. The relationships that we have, the opportunities we have now are absolutely incredible. Now, it's a gifted time, yes. But if you are not intentional with it now, when this crisis comes to pass, and it will pass, like every other extreme crisis, it came to pass. It's a gifted time, but if you're not intentional now, when it is over, when things get back to a new normal, you will regret that you did not take the time to redeem the time. So I want to exhort you and encourage you, take the time now to redeem the time that God has given us. If there is one thing that we all need all the time, it's encouragement. It's encouragement. And at such a time as this, we need encouragement. And I would say to you these things that we're talking about, you know, listen, love, learn, are all the means by which God wants to encourage us as human beings, create his image, as his people, and then also that our lives become the encouragement for those who don't know him. We can do that. We can love them. We need encouragement. Discouragement is all around the place right now. But God in his sovereign providence has said, I'm going to give you some time to redeem the time. 
Colossians 2.1, Paul was the encourager. So all he wanted to do was he wanted to encourage people. He wrote to the Colossians, I want you to know with what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. He wanted to be with them. Here it is. That their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. What a tremendous just little verse that is. Encouraged by being knit together in love and attaining to all the riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ, whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom. In other words, you can't plumb the depths of God's love. You can't plumb the depths of what God wants to do in your life, how he wants to chasten you and teach you and, and lead you in paths of righteousness, how he wants to make you and myself a more loving person in creating his image, saved by the blood of the Lamb, and now given this new gift, salvation, by which God wants to reach a world reach the brothers and sisters in our fellowship with one another and reach the world with that same love, that same power that transformed our lives more and more into the image of Christ. So let me close with this. Be encouraged. God loves you. God is with you. God wants to bless you. And be encouraged. We love you. We want to pray for you. We want to help you in any way that we possibly can. Be encouraged. Finally, by encouraging others. As you take those intentional moments to build yourself up in your faith, as you then intentionally are now seeking to love on other people, let me say this, it doesn't take a whole lot to encourage someone else. And we have this opportunity now to do that. Let me pray. Father, we thank you again for your love for us. We thank you again for these simple truths. And Lord, how we want to be growing, growing, growing. Lord, we don't want to be found lagging in faith, lagging in perseverance. So I pray, Lord, even as we're praying through this whole time, that you, by your Holy Spirit, will grant us to redeem the time, to be encouragers. Please, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.